I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one. Do you want anything from the shop? Cornetto. Chocolate! It doesn't say anything about a chocolate, does it? No. No, it doesn't. Sure it doesn't. So fuck off! My boy says he can eat 50 eggs, he can eat 50 eggs. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! You're certifiable, Quint, you know that? You're certifiable! Hello, Dimitri. Listen, I, I can't hear too well. Do you suppose you could turn the music down just a little? Oh, that's much better. Hello and welcome to the 37th Spool Podcast with myself, Nigel, and him, Pork. Hello. On the agenda today, we're talking Spectre as Daniel Craig and Sam Mendes team up yet again for another James Bond extravaganza. We'll also look back on Sicario, Macbeth, The Martian, and then preview Brooklyn, which is coming up in two weeks' time. So we're going to kick off. What's a little bit different here is we saw Spectre 12 hours ago at its first Irish screening, and uh, which was great to get to. And we then left the cinema, made a pact not to mention anything about what we thought about it. So we're getting actual real time. <laughs> yeah, real real time reactions. Uh, yeah. I'll give a bit of a setup before we go in. So it's the fourth Bond that stars Daniel Craig, uh, the second one from Sam Mendes and clocking in at 148 minutes. So the longest James Bond ever, I think you said. Mm. Um, so yeah, Daniel Craig is James Bond. The bad guy is Christoph Waltz, who plays Franz Oberhauser. And the the couple of um, Bond girls, we've got Monica Bellucci, who plays Lucia Sicario. Uh, she's 50 years old, so it makes her the oldest Bond that was, girl. That was good to see, yeah. She she holds her own. Yeah. That's good. And then we have Leah Sedu as Madeleine Swan. When I was looking up the character names, I realized they don't do any daft names anymore, like Pussy Galore. Yeah. Or anything. It's a fun moment where he says, hello, pussy. Um, yeah. As a little nod to something else, but it's very funny. Yeah. So it starts with a big intro in Mexico. It's the Day of the Dead. And he's on the hunt of some guy. We're not really sure why. And then we realized that M had left him, uh, the original M, Judy Dench from the last film, Skyfall, had left him like a secret note. Um, to ki- find a guy and kill him and then turn up at the wedding and this kind of sets off a chain of events um, in the background as well we have Ray Fiennes is playing M this time and Ben Shaw is back as Q so the two of them are trying to there's like a new era of spy intelligence coming in and Andrew Scott our own Dublin Andrew Scott plays Denby and Moriarty from Thingy yeah. from Sherlock the BBC series in case so the two of them are kind of at war with each other because Denby is this, like this, you know, corporate intelligence. We have to all communicate with everybody. And Ralph Fiennes is very old school. So we have a wee clip here that kind of sets off the, how the two of them hate each other. And in light of the new information I've given him, he's decided to close down the double O program with immediate effect. You don't know what you're doing. It's not personal. It's the future. And... You're not. You're a cocky little bastard, aren't you? <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. I wouldn't. This isn't over yet. So there we have the two of them kind of going at it. Uh, C versus M. Yeah, well, there's a funny joke with that. Yeah. I th- yeah, because Bond just kind of anoints them as, oh, we'll call you C. No, I'll call you C. But that's not my name. But I'll call you C. Yeah, but is that a throwback to older films where there was a C character? I, I don't know. Or is it referring to that thing that rhymes with punt? Yeah, possibly. Um, so, reaction. Uh, it was good. I didn't like it as much as Skyfall. For me, it didn't have a real emotional core like Skyfall did with Judy Dench and the whole storyline um, of her die you know we couldn't yeah. talk about it at the time but at the end of Skyfall Judy Dench dies it's about yeah. the biggest gut punch we'd had in a Bond film and with that so Skyfall long. it very much turns to old James Bond then at the very end because we've Ralph Fiennes as M the lady I can't remember becomes Money Penny Naomi Harris she becomes Money, Money Penny, Penny. Yeah. and then it's just like oh it's old school James Bond now and I feel this Spectre is a continuation of this because there's good humour in it it's funny um, it's a bit you know there's no the love scenes in it are a bit ridiculous like he starts a relationship with Leo said which becomes a massive story arc and it all happens a bit too quickly for me it's just a bit like really you've known her about two days and this is yeah. what happens actually that was one thing I thought they actually handled quite well the, like the sex scenes and the love scenes because they've always been ridiculous in Bond films and with this there are two one is so preposterous to do with you know a a grieving woman that he just kind of you know lures in and you're like yeah fair enough Um, and then 
the latest they do one is their first <laughs> moment is set up in a, basically as a as a smash sort of edit as a joke uh, after this big um action scene and i actually think they're knowing that they're like right we have to fit the silly sex scenes in there true but. and there wasn't any like shots of asses or women getting out of pools or anything like yeah, that yeah um christoph waltz seems like he's in it for five minutes yeah and the film is 148 minutes long like he's he's a good bad guy and fine and uh, there's a cool story and the actual story which we don't want to go into because yeah this is we're very conscious of this well I'd imagine by the time this has come out people will be just going to see it so we're we're just reviewing it here we're not going to spoil it yeah there is good storyline arcs with that but to me it didn't really have an emotional core and it was just going back to old James Bond and like the, the opening sequence is amazing I loved it with the helicopter I thought it was so dramatic and I was just like oh brilliant but like apart from that we heard talk of this chase car chase scene in Rome and I thought it was so boring yeah I could have done with that my favourite part there's a sequence on a train which harks back to the it's my, my favourite Bond is from Russia with Love which has um, Jaws Quint from Jaws uh, playing the blonde I can't remember his name sorry um, against Robert Sean Shaw. Connery yeah Robert Shaw's character against Sean Connery just in a hand to hand combat and with this they go back and do that on this incredible train sequence there's... I thought that was good and it was Dave Dave Bautista the WWE wrestler yeah like to me that's going back to the, the old James Bond and you're like, it's like fair enough you know it is a franchise but it's kind of like we have a big lug of a bad guy which is that guy and then we've Christoph Waltz who's the thinking guy and you know doesn't really do much yeah there's a we can't really talk about this at all but you hope that um, some of these characters are revisited I wondered at the end whether you know unlike at the end of thing there's not a whole lot of death in this so there's there's people there's characters who can be brought back um, both on a both on a personal like you know on the good side and the bad side and you hope that if Sam Mendes is to do one more that they actually wrap it up with holding on to yeah. some of those characters and then maybe put it to bed this Daniel Craig era because it will have like, but this one feels very final for him there's lots of stuff where like oh yeah. until it's the over. end and yeah. but even with the ending it's kind of like yeah but they they the very very end leave it at that don't they but they didn't I don't know whether they they used, years ago they used to finish up with the James Bond will return in um, yeah and we weren't bothered to we didn't stay for that we had had to give our phones into some Ziploc bags there was like a big there was some celebrities fun at uh, the premiere Brian Cox was there yes for some random reason we, I didn't look that up I must look that up we, we have no idea if anyone would like to tweet us why Brian Cox was number one in Dublin and number two why he went to the Spectre screening and cool as he like he just had a hat on just had to sit down and was like I'm just going to watch this you know you could tell. that wasn't a good impression but anyway do you know um, what Spectre stands for? Um, I used to know what it was I was a massive James Bond fan back in the day so so no you can just tell me give me some letters special no executive for terrorism yeah and Internet or knee is what you need. No, I don't know. Special executive for terrorism, revenge, and extortion. Ah. I was like, that's kind of cool. Yeah, um, I actually loved that they brought Spectre back. They was sort of stuck in a. It was an issue over copyright for that for a few years. Like just the it was owned maybe by the Fleming estate and because Spectre featured even. in no. yeah in the film Never Say Never, which is the only. One of only two sort of unofficial James Bond films, along with the original Casino Royale, um, Spectre is kind of in it. And so different people felt they had the rights, but they settled all that. And now they were able to actually bring it in. And I think it did quite a good job of tying together all the Mendes films. Like we get reference back to Quantum of Solace and we get talk of Skyfall, Casino oh, Royale. Yeah, and that's why it feels very together. final to me. Yeah. The whole thing. But he's signed, Daniel Craig, I've read conflicting things that he's signed up for five films. So he might have won more. And he's done four. But like, yeah. well, there's Sam Mendes. But like the guests were all on Graham Norton last night. And Graham Norton said to him, but like, this is going to make a ton of money. So if they're like, if they give you a load of money, will you Sam do Mendes another one? On there? No, it's no. just Daniel Craig, Christoph Waltz. And he was like, well, actually, I've never done a film just for the money. And then Graham Norton was like, well, you may never have gotten this much money before. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, it, it was good. I think with Sam Mendes, like the film... He worked with Roger Deakins on Skyfall, and this is done by Hoyt van Hoytema, um, who also did Her and Let the Right One In and Tinker Tailor Spy and Interstellar. So he's one of these superstars cinematographers, and it did look incredible. Like, it was shot in 35mm. Not that that necessarily matters, but you could tell... 
like the, that the whole thing looks so so good and I think Sam Mendes knows how to kind of cut these things but I just don't think you know I think he maybe challenged himself a bit more on Skyfall there was mm. nothing really in but I don't think the, like the bad guy for me isn't as good as Skyfall or the Ark yeah. kind of so I was but, just like mm. but also like I was midway through I was like this is sort of these range of films that Mendes has done are probably as good as modern James Bond films can be like they've so many things that they have to play into um, you know the women in this like you say they're not overly objectified and they're relatively like strong and in terms of what they're allowed to do let's say um, from the script and you yeah, know Q so is good as well but they mm, just have to tick, tick boxes, so many boxes and get you know there's a certain bit of disbelief that you kind of have to play into and the whole plot for the most part holds up really really well but there's a few little glitches you know it's all about computer security and mo- for the most part you actually buy into it but then you're like no way would that ever happen in like a large agency like that where you know someone just forgets to look at a log of something or can't access or doesn't know like it, it sort of it tries to have it both ways of being smart with how um, surveillance and intelligence is sort of handled but this one seems way. a lot funnier there seems to be a lot more jokes in this one yeah and no product placement like none of the ridiculous product placement of like I yeah, couldn't even car tell the, probably the only thing yeah, yeah that's Aston Martin we'd forgive that I noticed he, that at he one point because someone drinks at one point and I was like I didn't know what that drink was yeah before we, it, before it was just basically oh, there's Heineken there's Sony Ericsson this is much more subtle so I wonder did they deliberately make an effort but they always say with Bond films that they pretty much make their money back before they're even through the released, advertising and everything just yeah. because yeah and have you seen the, the Ian Fleming Gillette campaign anywhere it's yeah. some bizarre thing where Ian Fleming had a clean shaven face <laughs> Yeah, by Gillette. Makes sense. I always, I just prefer the Thierry Henry, Roger Federer, David Beckham era of Gillette ads. So, anyway, um, as a whole, I did like it as well, and liked everything with Oberhauser, Christoph Waltz's character, who evolves into who we all know he ends up being. But I did like that, but could have had more of him. So I went in the three and a half stars camp. Yeah, I go with three. Yeah, you're on for so, three yeah. yeah but like you know if you're putting it as as a, a Bond film like it's a four maybe if Skyfall is a oh, five oh it's probably up there yeah as a flat out thing if you're not invested in the world this isn't going to bring in any new fans or anything like that no so, um, definitely not so very good next up is a very different film <laughs> um, it's the adaptation of the column Tobin book Brooklyn um, so it arrives on screens in about 10 days two weeks time depending on when you're listening to this November 6th so directed by John Crowley the director who has sort of gone off the radar a little bit but um, best known for Intermission which how many years ago do you think Intermission was? 15 no 12 years I thought I was going to shock you oh, okay, sorry. so long ago Intermission kind of passed me by I think it was a real everyone's like oh have you seen Intermission I was like no don't care and I thought it was a real dub film I don't actually think it's that good came out when we would have been maybe just starting college or something so no I can't remember I think I saw it in Divda Divda at home um, but the film tells the story remember that? yeah Divda yeah okay the film tells the story of Ellis Lacey played by Saoirse Ronan is she called Ellis? something to do with Ellis Island or is that a pure oh, coincidence? like some be. little nod from Toby no but anyway she's an escorty girl who leaves her mother and sister Rose um, um, behind it's 1950s Ireland and she has a crap job Sunday, all she, all the only work she can get is working on a Sunday in the local shop and she ha- she's an ambitious girl so she wants to do more so she goes to uh, Brooklyn on the boat and she's set up by uh, a priest a Catholic priest a very Catholic Ireland establishment in Brooklyn it's like you know um, so Jim Broadbent and then she's set up in this lovely old boarding house with a woman called Ma Kyo Julie Walters who was possibly the funniest thing in the whole film she was very good and the trailer kind of portrays her to be a bitch but yeah. she's not she's but very she's warm really and, and, gets, and gets a lovely job in a department store selling hats scarves or something tights just for Megan um, from, oh, from yeah. Mad Men is it tights Hoser- yeah. hosieries Hosiery. and, and she really can't act Megan from Megan, Mad Men no I no. just thought she was terrible anyway she's initially homesick but finds love with an Italian American Tony do you know who th- I had to look up because I knew I sort of recognised him a bit um, he's played by a character called Emery Cohen who's the young guy in The Place Beyond the Pines three four years ago there's a film that like Very loved at the time and have yeah. no one talks about it since it was so. on the telly a couple of weeks back and but it mm. was the usual thing where it was on at half eleven and I was like oh I can't it's watch a long this. long film I such happy memories of that but anyway Emery Cohen is in this and he plays this sort of nice real nice guy Italian American and they fall for each other and end up uh, getting together and everything um, 
but then she gets a phone call all of a sudden the phone rang and I was like oh it's the 50s they did have phones because there's a whole thing throughout it where you're like this could be in the 20s or the, like America at the time had like the Korean War um, like communism was sort of like clipping around there was another thing like if you actually think um, like the Cold War was happening like Russia like all this sort of thing but it could be wasn't really mentioned at all like it was more like yeah. the 20s but old style kind of stuff um it was actually the 50s anyway but then she gets a call her sister rose has spoiler died so she has to go back to wexford and so she leaves behind this kind of nice evolving growing life goes back to wexford and basically falls to, into um, her sister's life yeah and the mom was delighted to have her home she ends up she had done this bookkeeping course in america so ends up taking her sister's job for a while and it's all a bit you know convenient but then she sort of becomes friendly with donald leeson's jim farrell and uh so here's a clip from it where she her, they go to the beach and um she's sort of forgotten some of the things about what was nice about ireland so here's i'd forgotten was this you have beaches in Brooklyn yes but they're just very crowded there'll probably be quite a few walkers along here later yes it's still not the same I'm sure it's not we don't really know anything of the rest of the world you must seem very backward to you now. Of course not. You seem calm and civilized and charming. So, um, so that's it. And then she basically becomes friendly with him, and and then has this sort of dilemma. And there's lots of different, um, let's say, factors in helping her decide: Do I go back to America, where I have the other thing that I've probably she secretly got married just before she came home. And so that then is a thing where she knows herself that she already has legally and like uh, morally set up for life over there. And yeah, so the whole crux of it is basically, do I go back to America or do I stay in Ireland, which I think I might prefer with this guy. So what's what's mm. a girl to do? Um, it's wasn't mad in it. It's very boring at the start, I think, until Tony turns up and then it becomes nice. You're like, oh, this is kind of a nice love story. It's interesting. Mm. And then the church has a weird thing in it, kind of. Um, Jim Broadbent is very good in it. Um, but again, it seems very kind of perfect. It's really, the way it's shot, it's really bright colours. It's really kind of like Mills and Boons on TV. And yeah. it doesn't seem to me like Colm Tobin writes those kind of books. I've never read any of his books, so I don't know. But it just seems like yeah. a very... I know this is the issue neither it would have been great what a conversation would have had if I was a book reader and you weren't and we could both argue it but talking to people who've read the book I think it's a little bit glossier a bit shinier a bit more polished and classic romantic sort of romanticism sort of approach to it rather than a bit more the like the the, gr- the grungy grudginess yeah. of what life what are, like it was a horrible thing to like it, it feels even though it's shot present day it feels like a film that was made in the 40s I know it's even set in the 40s and 50s but it still seems to have that world yeah I'd like to say timeless but actually less timeless like set dated dated yeah from a different sort of era so Nick Hornby wrote it who I was going to slag off and then I realised that he'd written Wild the Cheryl Strain uh, book that came out whatever 10 months ago which I did really really like he wrote the screenplay for the film of that and then he also did an education a couple of years ago as well so like he you know he can't really suck him off but he's gone very very sentimental and gentle on the whole thing here so um, but Colm Tobin was at the premiere so he seems to be on board with the whole thing yeah well he got a nice you know payment Payola. you know yeah. from that kind of thing so I mean I could have done a tiny little bit at the very very end as well a little coda tacked on um, on a boat remember where she's on the loop oh yeah without yeah. ruining anything yeah a little bit softly there for me but anyway um yeah, it was sort of. It's an interesting one as well because it's it's an Irish film, but it was done with huge amounts of money from England and Canada, and the New York stuff is shot in Montreal as well. So while it was you know shot in in Scorty here, I think if it was actually left entirely to an Irish director, it would have been a bit grimmer, maybe a little bit less sentimental hmm. and heavy. And by having those different interests, 
and showing an Irish story, but with influence from an English writer and settings and financial interests from North America. It's like a picture postcard of both New York and Ireland, you know, and you're just like, it's... But great performance. Like, I mean, Donald Gleeson is very, very good and charming. And Emery Cohen, again, I liked some of the people didn't like his uh, portrayal. And then Saoirse Ronan, you know, we we all know that she's very good and she's very good in this. So... um, a bit hard to I don't think I felt any empathy toward her though I don't think she gave me enough to feel like I no I didn't really care yeah and as someone um, someone said where you know she's still just an accountant and we're meant to really care about and she's two guys who really want her and you're like is that really a a struggle for life you know her biggest worry is that her mum wants her around as well like you know god God damn it and also um I, this is off the hot off the presses my dad has seen the trailer and apparently the number plates on the cars are all wrong oh. so I was going to say the production design felt pretty good but apparently they didn't put the effort into actually getting the ZV registrations over ZCs they just left the original ones on the on the old cars so sloppy 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 um, that's the kind of thing he knows like Brilliant. you know but I think it, speaking of parents I think it is the film's going to make big big money and it's going to do it's a good story that that, that but people only on maybe our, but like I'd say our parents can relate to that yeah but they, that's but what I mean they but they will, will spend money to see it like this will have a big opening but will they be like it wasn't like that this is some whitewash bullshit thing like you know I don't know we shall see reviews will very rose glasses yeah we'll get reviews from next week and if you read American reviews this place at Sundance this is another interesting thing for me as well it debuted in January it was finished in January press screened in June could have played Galway didn't could have played other festivals didn't and now we're getting it in November like it's been ready for months and months and months so I'm curious to see what strategy there was that did they feel by having an Irish or maybe it might tie better in America with audiences because it has that whole Irish American vibe with the dances and I think it has a a release there um, soon as well Um, anyway we'll move on to Sicario again a very different I'm loving the jump it's actually a very good month in fairness I've seen some good stuff um, this month so um, Sicario is a story of Kate Macer played by Emily Blunt and uh, she's an FBI tactical agent in Arizona involved in kind of busting sort of kidnap scenes right or like hostage situations and kidnapping and that's her specialty but she gets sucked in um into a CIA drugs sting operation in Juarez and she doesn't really know what's what and they sort of want her on board and she's not really clear why. So the um, it's directed by Dennis Villeneuve, the Canadian director, and alongside uh, Emily Blunt, we also have Matt, at the CIA officer who wears sandals, um, played by Josh Brolin, and then his pseudo partner probably Alejandro Gillick who is Benicio del Toro who we don't really know who he works for and all so it's um, very very grim very very dark it's shot in Albuquerque New Mexico um, looks brilliant and that's shot because it's meant, uh, shot by Roger Deakins so and I think New Mexico and all that drug world like we see it all in Breaking Bad and everything and you can't really fault it, it looks so lovely and grim uh, we have a clip from a scene uh, here um, so this is from the car chase scene where they're, they've just gone over to Juarez and they're coming back so this is ridiculously good scene. Get your service weapon out. Gun. Gun. Gun left. What are the rules here? Stay in your vehicle. You can do what they do. If they get out, you get out. So some of that was in Spanish and also very little sound, but um, you Tense, can see that. So I think you got the tense. You get the sense of yeah. So um, I really like. It. I'm just gonna. I'll let you talk in a second because I know you like this a bit less than I did. But this is from the Variety review where they just talk about that car sequence because it was one of my favorite bits. So using no special tricks, just the sharp color saturated compositions of cinematographer Roger Deakins, the airtight cutting of editor Joe Walker, and the subtly menacing score of composer Johan Johansson, Villeneuve creates a sequence as nail biting as any Fast and Furious car chase. Except that here, all the cars are standing perfectly still. Not lovely. I like finding nice. Uh, That's a good review. That's it. Like so. I'm 
I'm, that's not mine. That's from the Review and Variety magazine. Yeah. So um, I know their stuff. Yeah, we can talk about. It. Well, you didn't like this. No, I didn't really much. like it. I was looking forward to it. I was quite excited about it, um, and it got great reviews. You really, you had said you dug it. A couple of other people really liked it. Um, but I went in and I was kind of I was just bored by it. Anytime I see a film like this and there's a very strong female lead in a kind of FBI role, I immediately think of Silence of the Lambs. So I go to Clarice Starling, um, who's played by Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs. So then you have two kind of, you can either play two ways, you can have it where she's really just like one of the guys, you know, she doesn't touch into her female qualities at all. She's just like, as tough of the guys, macho up there, which Clarice was kind of like. And you can either go totally the opposite way where she's just like you know oh we shouldn't be doing this Reese Witherspoon in uh, Miss Congeniality or Sandra Bullock in Miss Congeniality kind of thing and it's kind of uh, I was just the kind of brought her along it was like she really didn't need to be in the film for me I thought Mm -hmm. that it was so it could have been a man that's what you mean yeah and then it was just like well if it had been a man you wouldn't have been saying that and I would because it's there was there was no greyness in the film to me it was very much like black and white she was just very much like we can't be doing this we have to follow the letter of the law and she was kind of going along really just to figure out here what's going on like what he's doing tell me tell me tell me what he's doing then you have Benicio Del Torrio and Josh Brolin who are just the lads like you know they're going like fucking let's kill everyone and you have to go and come on get with it and there's a scene towards the end where she kind of reaches her peak and she's like we can't do this and Josh Brolin has a go at her and it's like I wasn't really aware of the director and I looked it up after because when I was watching it it reminded me of the character from Prisoners now it turns out it's the same director who directed Prisoners you know the black guy in Prisoners he's the other father to Hugh Jackman yes yeah he's really kind of like oh we shouldn't be going kind of gung-ho maybe we should follow the law and he's produ- you know he's this really weak watery character and I think when Josh Brolin goes nuts at her at the end it's kind of like a message to like American audiences or whatever it's like this is what we do it's totally illegal and you know but we get the job done so you better just man up and if you don't do it you're as good as her like you're just a woman like it's a bad thing to be like we shouldn't be doing this and whatever I don't know like there was no it was really predictable as well like the mm. bit there becomes a scene where Josh so Brolin ben, tells the, her the darkness around Benicio Del Toro's mis- mystery you didn't buy into it no I was just like you can see that coming a mile away and when she goes into the there's a scene where she goes into a bank and Josh Brolin's like don't go into the bank because obviously it's all you know the guys are after it knows yeah. so then it cuts to another scene and you see a character and you're like that guy's going to try and kill her because he's just been introduced we know from nowhere where he's come and it's just like this guy's going to try and kill her and lo and behold he tries to kill her and I was just like oh I'm bored by the whole thing to me it would have been more interesting to have the character about Benicio or something I was just like that might have been more interesting but it's just like more to me gung-ho macho male propaganda but it's not really... Yeah. I'm not, I wasn't sure if it would actually sold the match on it. I think it sells the... I, I kind of agree with you on the moral thing, but I still think she kind of weirdly wins in a way, like with her choice. That, like we, even if she doesn't... If stuff doesn't go her way and... You know. But we've that scene at the end where it's just like Benicio Del Toro has this... It's a great line, but it's horrendously misogynistic where he says to her you should get out of town and go somewhere else because like this is a place for wolves and you're not a wolf so mm. basically fuck off woman this is man's I didn't, country I didn't take like, that as a gender thing but I think yeah I actually I think it's more about the weak and the strong maybe rather than men and women and she is sort of toughened up like it doesn't matter that she's a woman like I was kind of thinking about it like but I think they do because they have her as a woman in this yeah oh, they've obviously made the decision yeah. I agree with you on that but I was thinking as well like Jessica Chastain in Zero Dark Thirty the same kind of completely male dominated she has to usually be telling men what to do whereas in this Emily Blunt doesn't maybe, really need like you know we see a bit at the very beginning and the opening is like I agree on yeah it maybe. is very dramatic at times and yeah. very suspenseful but you were uh, bored yeah, at points like in between the tents because I was like I can see where this is going I can see what's coming mm. I don't really care and what made me think of Silence of the Lambs because it was like that was already in my head and then they do the thing that's at the end of the Silence of the Lambs when Clarice is going after Buffalo Bill it's mm. all um, night vision stuff which oh, yeah. is in and that's what, exactly what they do so it's like yeah there's nothing original here it's a little nod I didn't even click with Silence of the Lambs until you said it's sort of there but I'm and that, that didn't work for me as well it brought yeah. me out of the film because I'm like why is the camera showing this oh you're getting very because uh, we're not POV on a person there's no bit where 
so I look why... at you and I know I'm a person so that's why it's night vision-y on the camera it was all night vision or then that other weird camera thing and I was like the camera like was that not someone else's perspective I didn't get camera. that I can't remember it could have been but I, I, I wasn't getting it Roger Deakins never makes mistakes so um, we agreed to this well, I mean I'm not saying I, there are flaws I hated the um, the Mexican corrupt police officer, the really lame guy who they just introduce, and he hangs out with his son, and he keeps. Like, I thought that might have home. been interesting that he was the head bad guy, and he yeah. just lived like but no, lived, lived like a poor yeah. guy. But no, then that they comes through. Yeah. On it. Like I mean, I was I was with you know gripped by it, but I didn't enjoy it. Like I'm in the I'm in the I'm giving it a four out of five, like because I admire everything about it, and I like Dennis Villeneuve also did a film called On Sandy, which um, has another kind of theme of revenge going through it. So. Um, I sort of like what he does and Prisoners I also enjoyed even though a lot of people are like a bit schmaltzy but in between he did Enemy the um, the one with Jake Gyllenhaal like this so he is I was thinking a little bit because Guillermo del Toro was in my thoughts this month because of Crimson Peak and he used to do this thing and he admitted it himself where he did you know one for them one for me so he did a film feeding the American audience maybe yeah. the big money kind of thing and then he would go and you know he so he, he he jumped from Devil's Backbone to Hellboy to Pan's Labyrinth to second Hellboy you know and Pacific Rim so he used to do that for a while and um, he doesn't really do it as much but um, I was kind of thinking about it and then I looked so Villeneuve's next film um, is called Story of Your Life and it's like a science fiction crazy drama thing with aliens and lots of people in it too so oh, I think he, he he knows how to play the game like this was yeah. a very smart kind of clever career move maybe for him like because he will have, I don't think it made huge money either but um, yeah but I still did enjoy it. are you low scores in the- uh, two probably two it was just it was very boring for me I was just yeah like, no I know nah. well moving on to boring uh, we're going to talk about <laughs> Macbeth Okay. Um, now, do you want to... Yeah, I'll intro it. Uh, another, I did a weird thing where I wrote it down all the movie times. I don't have the movie length for Sicario or whatever. So Macbeth was... 100- Work, I, will ha- I will have that here with a research team. They'll hand me a piece of paper cool. over my shoulder. So Macbeth was 113 minutes. Uh, Spectre was 148. The Martian is going to be 144. Two hours for Sicario. But that's... You're proving that length maybe doesn't matter if it's good yeah, enough then. Yeah, everything is very much very big long hitter films yeah, we're the, the 19 one... minutes Macbeth is directed by Justin Kurzel who was the director of Snowtime which is a horrendously graphic and gory film so when I kind of heard he was on board I was like oh this will be interesting um, Michael Fassbender is Macbeth uh, Marion Coutillard plays Lady Macbeth then it's quite a heavy hitter list we've Paddy Constantine as Banquo David Thewillis who plays Duncan who's the king and then Jack Rayner Malcolm who's going to be the heir to the throne so everyone kind of know. well maybe everyone doesn't know the story of Macbeth I did it for the leaving did you? yeah so did we, I was, we did the leaving the same year in different countries but there were options were there or did, could you skip Shakespeare for the leaving cert no I think when we were still doing it you still kind of had to do one Shakespearean so text I would have thought so were we obligated but you could have done it as a comparative a, maybe we, it's not your main oh right could we have done a different Shakespeare one or is it on a curriculum possibly I think Julius no Julius Caesar is usually the junior cert yeah, I, I think there usually is one Hamlet or Macbeth. Yeah, they kind King of Lear, you do one of the three, no? So the, it starts with the battle scene. We have the three witches now foretell that uh, Macbeth is going to become a king and he doesn't really believe them. And then during that, um, well, they tell him he's going to become the thing of Cordor. Cordor, yeah. And then he's going to become a king. So he's like, this is nonsense. And just when they go off, uh, a guy comes along and be like, hey, you're the thing of Cordor. And then Banquo and Macbeth are like, well, and the witches have already told Banquo that you're not going to be king, but you're going to give birth to a line of kings. So this kind of starts Macbeth going like, oh, God, maybe I'm going to be king. And he gets a bit creeped out. And But then he's also got Banquo in his ear because he's like, well, if I, my prophecy come through, I'm obviously going to die because this guy is going to give birth to a line of kings and that kind of kicks everything off so he tells his wife Lady Macbeth who's played by Marianne Coutillard and in the play there's only a hint that she maybe has lost the baby but in the Here film they, yeah, they, it's the opening scene yeah. it's very creepy it was like dead baby first scene yeah. funeral um, so he goes back tells his wife what the prophecy said and she was like okay let's go first why not you know man up and suck it up and go for it so there's a big party then at his house and they kill he kings um, David Wallace who plays Duncan even though Malcolm has already been betrothed the throne he, he knows he's going to become the next king so Malcolm finds Macbeth and that he's killed 
Uh, yeah, which was different mm. to the book. I I had to look that up because I didn't. I didn't think he was there. No, like, but in the book, in the in the book, in the play, um, did the play, just do a runner? Is that it? Or yeah, you get scared? And you and say, never, oh, you never either see Macbeth in the play. It's never. It's just like Macbeth goes and does it and comes back, yeah. which is a weird plot thing because it's it's done in the play like that because you don't see him killing the king because you're always supposed to feel sorry for Macbeth. Mm. But whereas if you when you see him stabbing him, it's very bloody. You kind of feel sorry for the king. Well, absolutely. Yeah, you I know. don't think there's much empathy for, for yeah. Macbeth. So then this, really. yeah. he carries on. He then becomes king, starts to lose his mind because it all around him. He's incredibly paranoid. He sends for Banco to be killed and then he just basically loses his mind. So we have a small clip here of um, Fassbender and Cotillard. Just having a chat in this lovely big house. Yeah. How now, my lord? Why do you keep alone? We have scorched the snake, not killed it. She'll close and be herself, whilst our poor malice remains in danger of her former tooth. Things without all remedy should be without regard. What's done is done. Come, gentle, my lord. Sleeker will your rugged looks be bright and jovial among your guests tonight. The makeup is brilliant in this. Yeah. One thing and the visuals and everything. The whole design and the visuals. I loved it. Really, really liked it. Um, even though it's 113 minutes, it felt to me like an hour and a half. They have cut quite big chunks out of it for a good effect I think because it's incredibly visual are there chunks of di- like huge dialogue scenes left out as well yeah they're just so gone and you're kind of they're implied and stuff with certain scenes massive bits of like no dialogue as well like the yeah. whole opening thing is like it's incredibly abstract as well there's yeah. loads of scenes and even the way when they do the soliloquies because it's tough in a film when you're always going to do a soliloquy it's just like here's a guy talking to himself but I think it's handled quite well and it looks fantastic it's red basically is the colour of the film the ending I think is fantastic because we have Fleance who comes and he's Banquo's son and that end scene where he takes the sword and kind of goes for it I just thought it was fantastic Scotland looks amazing the cinematographer is Adam uh, Arkapaw he also did the cinematography for Snowtown and um, yeah really really liked it Fastbender I think is great it's good portrayal of madness and paranoia um, Marion Cotillard maybe isn't in it too much like yeah I thought they sideline her a little bit yeah too much maybe because I I always thought when we were doing her um, doing the story in college like she was the centre of of the piece like she's the reason it happens she's the reason it falls apart in a way like in the yeah. way I remember kind of pitching it that she is it's at least 50-50 but it seems to be yeah. she has been sidelined a bit a little bit but like she Paddy her, her accent and everything like Marion Cotillard is fantastic in it um Jack Rayner is very good as Malcolm too. He has a good accent. His accent is okay, but I don't think okay. I can really. It's any time he speaks English. Everything you just do, you're like, oh, just because I know your real accent. So what did you think of him? Um, yeah, I was <laughs> similar to maybe to you, Sakari. I was quite bored in it. So technically flawless, brilliant, so well made. But because I roughly knew where the story was going at all points, I was like, I wonder how they'll do that. And yeah. um, like you know, you could visualize, but also there's too much slow motion like that thing of doing the slow motion sort of silent stuff oh yeah is, I like that but I suppose it could feel a bit like 300 or it something it really is like 300 and the action and stuff so um, I did really I admired it on all those kind of technical levels and that but just I was left a bit cold by it I don't remember much about it like there's no there's no single image really that I have stuck in it that I'm kind of recalling um now I don't know so it, it's still very well done and fair play to him his brother did the music as well that was, uh, yeah the music is very intense um, yeah, and it just has that hum like the whole film has that tense yeah that's why I think it kind of borrows along yeah. and with the cut dialogue and everything it's yeah. just like it felt like it was would, open minutes if you were an English leaving sir teacher would you be bringing your class to see this definitely do you actually think so but even though would you, I was thinking about it and I was like it was a bit confusing because it sort of changes a few things and adds I know and if you were studying it you'd be fine if you, you kind of know the story well enough like so we both studied it so we're kind of fine but I suppose it is with any Shakespeare because I've seen other Shakespeare films that I haven't studied and you're like what does that Ooh, mean what's going that? on yeah, yeah and who's that mm, and yeah. you forget with the dialogue how 
heavy it sort of is so is there new, the dialogue has been cut out but they haven't added dialogue they've added no no scenes, and it's still old it's still the words haven't changed yeah. the words they've just got rid of some of the words so yeah. we still need to understand the to Shakespearean English yeah it's a good way to do it um very good I suppose we'll wrap up very quickly with uh, The Martian it actually came out four weeks ago but we both really liked it so we thought might spend a minute or two yeah about it. Ridley Scott's new film 144 minutes long uh, based on a book by Andy Weir and stars Matt Damon as Matt Watney who is left behind on Mars there's a big storm comes to try to evacuate and they think he's dead sorry I should say and so they're like right we'll go home turns out he's not dead so then he doesn't decide to kill himself and decides to survive and goes along and he's a botanist and grows he's very proud of being a botanist very proud well. yeah I'm a botanist screw physics and um, yeah tries to survive then word gets back to home first of all that he's died and then they realise oh crap he's not died so it's then turns into a rescue mission or we have to save him yeah so here we takes so long as well doesn't it like oh we could get to him in eight months yeah which is kind of bonkers but (laughs) it all plays really well Um, so here we have a clip of them discussing how they're going to get Matt Damon back if we could talk to Mark we would tell him to stay put and to trust that we are doing everything in our power to bring him home alive don't say bring him home alive Vincent you know what these interviews aren't easy any no more Vincent on TV Copy that. 76 kilometers. Am I reading that right? Yes, sir. Uh, Mark drove two hours straight away from the hab, did a short EVA, and then drove for another two. He didn't load up the oxygenator or the water reclaimer? Every 41 hours, there's a 17-minute gap. I want that gap down to four minutes. Let's make it happen. Bruce, what's the earliest we can get a pre-supply there? It'll take nine months. Three months. Three that's you're going to say it's impossible, and then you're going to do the math in your head and say something like the overtime alone will be a nightmare. The overtime alone will be a nightmare. Get started. I'll find you the money. We'll do our best. Mark dies if you don't. So any voice aficionados, there's three big stars right there. We've got Kristen Wiig, uh, Jeff Daniels, and... Chiwetel for Also stars Kate Mara, Sean Bean, Michael Pena... Uh, Jessica Chastain and the guy from Headhunters whose name I forgot to look up That's he's okay. the baldy guy um, yeah it really reminded me of Apollo 13 really it feels like a Ron Howard film good feel good what I loved I think the most about it is he's just trying to survive and he doesn't with gravity she was trying to get home to her kid or something but with this he says like oh if I die tell my parents a note he's no wife he's no kid he's no husband he, he just wants to get home we also never meet the parents no they make that decision to say no he just wants science to achieve that he can continue living to be a scientist like he doesn't it's not the romantic angle or yeah. he doesn't give a damn like, just tell my parents but yeah you're really rude for him and you are really well I did yeah. you really hope that he lives it's really suspenseful really tense yeah. I actually want to see it again now I yeah, was realising from that that it, you know it's not perfect but it's incredibly enjoyable and clever and everything so you're so torn funny. through it as well you're like oh, will he home? and Matt Damon does great like because there's all oh, basically for the entire film scenes with him he's by himself yeah. but he still holds you you're gripped with him and yeah. you're kind of going along then all the stuff in the spaceship is done they kind of know it, like it is three films it's on the spaceship it's back on Earth and it's on Mars but they're all given enough breathing space I think so yeah, yeah. so very good so that'll be um, that's still in cinemas now and and it kind of ties in to, uh, to my movie moment of the month so it's the scene on Mars where he sees the big green shoot and he goes and he looks at it and it's a wee green shoe because he's like oh there it is there's life there's greenery very simple yeah so that was, it was a victory for science so mine is uh, from a film we haven't talked about Crimson Peak which you're yet to see or may not see the Guillermo del Toro film which is um, didn't get to talk to you about this it's it's uh, very good but um, it's not a horror film at all it's basically a romance story set in like a kind of gothic style so gothic romance but um, worth seeing definitely but probably going to disappoint some people um, but his work he's so good at building um, a world and shooting stuff so this is in IMAX and it doesn't need to be in IMAX but it's great that it is it's probably gone now with Skyfall or Spectre hopping in there so it's probably been pushed out but uh, anyway the, my favourite scene is the death of Carter Cushing who's this wealthy businessman and he's just shaving in this incredible old Victorian era um, gentleman's club 
and all of a sudden the taps start kind of he leaves a tap running and then you know he comes in he's attacked and he dies and it's the most beautiful kind of thing ever so it's a good story it's very simple but once you know it's not a horror story there's ghosts in it okay it's very scary but um is it so, funny no uh it's cool oh, yeah there okay. are laughs yeah tom like tom hiddleston mia wasikowski and jessica chastain are also three jessica chastain is like basically has a giant piece of ham and she's just hamming it up the whole time she's just kind of going to having so much fun playing these big insane larger than life uh, characters so anyway that's my movie moment of the month brilliant um, we might then wrap up might take a clip we'll prepare for November maybe we might take a clip from the first one I was going to talk about uh, which is the Steve Jobs uh, film we have 45 seconds I want to use it to ask you a question why do people who were adopted feel like they were rejected instead of selected I don't feel rejected you're sure very sure. Because it's not like the baby is born and the parents look and say, nah, we're not interested in this one. On the other hand, someone did choose you. It's having no control. You find out you were out of the loop when the most crucial events in your life were set in motion. As long as you have control. I don't understand people who give it up. What a clip. It is a great clip, isn't Five it? Five stars. Yeah, Jeff Daniels there um, plays the guy who was kind of brought in to be Steve Jobs' uh, babysitter, kind of CEO of Apple when before he was ousted and then eventually he's kicked out and then blah, 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 brought in. So um, it's the story of Steve Jobs, directed by Danny Boyle, written by Aaron Sorkin. They've just picked out three supposedly key events from the life um, product launches, I think. Product launches, but none of, you know, I think what I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it from a dramatic point of view, but less from an, I'm interested in the life of Steve Jobs, because like you say, his wife, um, you mentioned during the break that his, uh, his wife didn't really want to coming out, like former employees and friends and journalists and everyone have, who've seen it have kind of ridiculed, like rubbished it from that point of view and said it's a very enjoyable film and a story, but it's not really the Steve Jobs things. And even Aaron Sorkin has come out and said, no, well, I made up loads of stuff to make it a dramatic story. It cuts off yeah. as well at 2000, uh, 1999 is it when the iMac so they, they do the launch of the first Mac the NEXT computer and then the the, the iMac so the return after Steve Jobs return of the back. Mac yeah and what someone said in an interview to Aaron Sorkin is you miss out three words in this um, I hope I get them right cancer Pixar and iPhone Right, and they are the, like, how can you play? How can you call your film Steve Jobs and leave out those? So I actually feel I'm like, yeah, maybe they should just make a second one because I can't wait to see. Like, yeah, from I'm the, very, and the way the trailers have done, it looks like the most dramatic thing in the world. It looks fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and Aaron Sorkin, we just know is capable of writing these things. So I think if you're able to just distance it and go, yeah, so what, it's going to be a good film. So, but I wonder, is there Americans quite precious of Steve Jobs? I think so. Well, this is it. Like, I mean, it, and especially the tech and like, community. Because yeah. like, even when Walter Isaacson's book came out, which was written with Steve Jobs, people st- and it came out just after he died, yeah. people were like, oh, I don't know how that, if that's right. Or is but it like, true? I'll You're go like, back no, to that it, right? Simpsons clip where Homer starts up an internet company and Bill Gates comes to buy it out and wrecks his place. And he's like, you didn't think I got rich by writing a load of checks, did you? <laughs> you know, so like Steve Jobs was the genius CEO of a company, like created everything. Yeah. I'm sure he wasn't the nicest guy at all times no you know, but that's, so. what, that's what a lot of people who are close to him have said is that like it kind of focuses on assist, uh, his daughter and like this adoption angle maybe rather than the actual real family that he had and so but I have no problem with that it's just um, it's different so anyway it's out the 8th of November a couple of other good things come out the Hunger Games Mockingjay 19th of November the final the final final one so finally final film, film number film. 4 and this I think will be the fa- last time we see Philip Seymour Hoffman on screen or probably CGI interpretations of him um, and then my last pick is Carol the 27th November lovely name it's getting the Todd Haynes film so this is yeah. maybe Kate Blanchett versus uh, Kate Blanchett's bid for Oscar glory maybe again number two yeah um, but then what apparently the she's favourite with Brie Larson um, she, I think she is two no? okay so we'll she one for Blue one. Jasmine for Blue Jasmine but then got the supporting actress for The Aviator I think oh did she playing Catherine Hepburn okay and the only what a movie that was but that was also, good fun yeah I think she won it so I think she has two okay but one for League one for Sport anyway try to talk about Bridge Spies there and you can look that up so Bridge Spies is coming out is Carol coming out on the 27th of November absolutely this is a day so that's along a big weekend with Black Mass yeah so we've got Black Mass on the 27th of November which I'm not really looking forward to but read up a wee bit about it and might be interesting I think Johnny 
Depp is playing Whitey Bulger, who was Boston's uh, most Boston most notorious criminal gangster. He's still alive, actually. Hashtag spoiler. Um, and the director is Scott Cooper. So I don't know. Just from the trailers and stuff, everybody looks really make up to the nines. Just like why is Johnny Depp wearing weird makeup? And it's going to be very hard for me, I think, to watch the film and be like, oh, Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp. Also, seems like it's going to be another male fest with like ten guys all being angry and shouting yeah, at each other. And I just like each other. seeing Johnny Depp play actual normal people as opposed to kids' characters. So yeah. yeah, and then the also so. Bridges Spies, uh, Hanks and Spielberg are back again, and it's the interesting thing I thought about it. The screenplay is written by Matt. Charmin and Joel and Ethan Cohen have written the screenplay so I don't know if it's going to be a bonkers romp a little big Lebowski I doubt it based on the trailer so it's um, but a CIA, CIA rescue mission in the Soviet Union and Tom Hanks is brought in to broker the deal it's going to be good um, so that's it so we're going to wrap up very quickly with Thunderball which uh, is sort of 50 years old this year and it's a very underrated James Bond film so um, yeah Here's Tom Jones. We will see you in a couple of weeks for our Star Wars thing. We'd love if people would just tweet us with their favourite Star Wars. Some people have already done it. It's great. Um, and uh, yeah, just let us know. We're going to be watching. We're going to do the first three in about two weeks' time. Yeah. And then in early December, we'll Before do the the, 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 first, the actual first three. Yeah. I keep making my mistake. <laughs> what the original. I keep seeing the original, but like then they're not at all the originals, are they? No. Because um, there's a new... You, we're doing this because there's a new Star Wars film. You might know. Anyway, here's Tom Jones. Bye-bye. She always runs while others walk Oh